0: Welcome to Run Like Hell Toward Happy, the podcast for overwhelmed creatives to stop hustling and finally create balance between work, life, play, and rest to make progress toward their dreams. I'm Caitlin Liz Fisher, motivational writer and coach who helps people listen to that little voice inside that knows what you really want to be doing. Let's get started. Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome back to Run Like Hell Toward Happy. I'm so happy that you're here. And I hope that you loved that two-part episode on toxic positivity and accessing your anger. I did end up creating a workbook for you with extra journal prompts and lots of good info about the five anger languages. And you can get that at bit.ly slash access anger. That is bit.ly slash capital A access capital A anger. And I'm going to give a shout out to this week's featured reviewer. This review comes from Ash. And Ash says, I've had such similar life struggles in very different flavors. Caitlin's voice is so soothing and comforting, and the topics are so vulnerable and real. This series is refreshingly healthy and informed on sensitive topics. And that is very topical for today. So first of all, thank you, Ash. That's an amazing review. All these reviews give me the warm fuzzies, but I just really appreciate when people are getting value from me sharing my story. Um, I always want to share my story for those who are comfortable doing so, or maybe don't realize that they have a similar struggle. And so sharing my story helps them in their own healing journey, wherever they are on that journey. And today's episode is going to be about parental estrangement. And how that final boundary with your parents, if they were not accepting of you as a person, how that boundary can help you get back to your true self, your more intuitive, creative self, who trusts that you can make the right decisions for yourself. So I have my sister on for this episode, and we talk about our parents. And we talk about a lot of stories from our past so I need to give some trigger warnings up front. Content warning four. Mentions of racism and homophobia. Stories about emotional abuse. Mention of dissociation. Sexual assault. Death of a parent. And death of a pet. And I think that covers all the heavy topics that we get into. This episode is longer than usual. It comes in in about an hour, and it is a little heavy, but... We're also those type of people who awkwardly realize that we just told a really fucked up story and then laugh about it. So there's some comic relief if you're into that. You know, we'll, we'll get into that. But one real quick note that we are at 23 reviews. The next giveaway is at 30 reviews. And I can't wait to give away another free coaching session and copy of my book. So get in there to our Facebook group, enter the giveaway. I'm really excited. To just become a community of people who are running like hell toward happy. So, without further ado, let's start today's episode. So, today's episode is about estrangement with a very special guest, my sister, Jess. Hey. Hey, I'm so excited. So, specifically, we're talking about like parental estrangement. So, like adult children who no longer speak to their parents. And this is on my podcast about creativity and goals and stuff like that, because a lot of the times self-doubt and imposter syndrome and all that fun shit that keeps us from going for our dreams uh, gets installed in our brains in childhood. And estrangement can sometimes be a consequence of that kind of harm. And I have Jess with me because we are both estranged from our parents, the same parents. But we had different experiences as children. So I'm going to let Jess introduce themselves. So say hello, tell, tell the, the crowd about you. Hello,
1: crowd. Um, <laughs> I am Caitlin's little sister. I'm four years younger than they are. But so you're taller. I'm mine bigger. I've always been the quote-unquote big sister. <laughs> while also being the little sister some identity crisis there jk (laughs) i (laughs) cut that part out no Um, i will not (laughs) uh what do i do i am a teacher in washington dc and i have been estranged from my father i think this roughly the same amount of time as caitlin has um but i took about a year longer on the mom train um, just because I don't know, she's the one that I wanna give the benefit of the doubt to sometimes for like childhood stuff,
0: oh, interesting. I'm the opposite. I have this tendency to to think about Dad with the benefit of the doubt
1: yeah and and i and I get your benefit your his his benefit, which is I think he actually did truly love us, and he thought he was making the right choices to be the kind of dad he wanted to be. But he just wasn't a good dad. He just prioritized all the wrong things. Whereas, I, I mean, I get it too. Like the unforgivableness of mom yeah. and how, you know, if your listeners have forgotten or don't remember <laughs> how she kind of held our stepdad hostage from us while he was literally dying, um, that's pretty unforgivable. But when I think back to like our childhood, I, I do recognize that she was a single mom like working her ass off for, to to at least feed us. And I know, you know, like just feeding and housing your children is literally the bare minimum and nobody gets like cookies for that. But she was fighting her own trauma at the same time. And so I think sometimes I, I want to ask her like, if she's okay, you know? Yeah,
0: I I get that. I do. I have a lot of like, compassion for the fact that, like, the divorce was hard on her. Being a single mom of four kids was hard on her. Like, she had a lot stacked against her. And I have a lot of compassion for that. But, you know, also holding that next to the fact that, like, she traumatized and abused us and that her trauma explains but doesn't excuse.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I agree with that. I think as an adult or like in my adulthood, I had a much more contentious relationship with dad than you did because as I was like coming to my awareness and my awakening of like racial and class issues and just trying to like realize my place in the world, you know, a little bit and and realizing a lot of rights and wrongs and a lot of things that, that dad really did get wrong. And I would talk to him about it, you know, I'd say, hey, maybe it's not cool that like, you're so homophobic, or (laughs) you want to touch black people's hair all the time. Like, that's not cool. And then he would like, fight me on it, you know, and he would like fight back and push back. And that that really annoyed me because it felt like I had a father that was a Facebook troll. Yeah. And so that's, I think, why I just, like, don't really have any patience for him because I've tried to talk to him and, like, tried to change his mind about things and, and tried to come at it from a bunch of different ways. But he firmly believes the whole old old dog, like, no new tricks kind of thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's very frustrating. I remember him being confused by they, them pronouns before either of us came out.
1: Well, yeah. And I mean, we both came out after we were estranged. And I think that says a lot. Yeah, it really
0: does. It. It really does. It's similar to how after I left my ex-husband, I realized I was non-binary. I realized I was autistic. I got diagnosis for fibromyalgia and endometriosis. Like just, I got a lot of answers about myself that I think he would have tried to explain away or deny about me.
1: Yeah. He would have told you it was your fault. You know, you, you actually went to go look for answers once you realized that you weren't causing the problems.
0: Oh, that's, yep. Mm. That feels great. (laughs) It's good. It's good. Okay. So you are a teacher. You are my sister. What else about you do we want to share? I don't know. We don't have to share anymore. That's and that's pretty much you right now. You're you're hanging out. You're you're an artist. You're a creative person.
1: I am. (laughs) I (laughs) I I I know like the the topic of this is parents kind of crushing your creativity, but I'm I'm not sure if they did or if it's me or if it's a combination of all the effects put together. Yeah,
0: I think in general, just sort of trauma as a whole can sort of take your hobbies away from you. Mm-hmm. So we'll we'll get into it. We'll talk about it. <laughs> Yeah. we'll see what happens and if we'll laugh we'll cry i'm sure well, i'm sure we'll laugh a lot because we cope with humor because of who we are as people thanks for that skill dad he did he did give us that
1: yeah, he did teach us that <laughs> we started off with a shit sense of humor but we knew timing and we knew wordplay
0: <laughs> i love wordplay okay all right so this is this is why i need a script jess oh I, Okay. I know because I just, I'll just get off on tangents. So,
1: but don't you, don't you edit it back though?
0: I do, I will, but sometimes I keep the rambles in.
1: Yeah, I've, I've noticed. Yeah.
0: Okay. So, getting back to the topic of estrangement, when the people in your closest relationships, so typically like when you're young, family, but also like friends, teachers, just anybody that you're close to, when those people tell you that your ideas aren't good or safe or worth, putting energy into that kind of puts a damper on your creative expression and your ability to try new things, your ability to push beyond your comfort zone, you know, parents telling you what, what major to pick, or, you know, if you want to pursue writing, that's not like a real career that really can fuck with your confidence.
1: Right. Yeah. We had to, I had, well, man, yeah, you're right. Cause I had to, like a lawyer, convince mom that I should be able to go to that vocational school for my senior year of high school. They had that teacher preparation program, and right now, as you know, twenty-eight year old teacher, it's wild to me that seventeen-year-old me wanted this too. And I like really wanted to go into that teacher prep program, but mom was just convinced that that meant I had no ambition, or like I just wanted to go to a trade school or whatever. And so, really. She, really made it difficult for me to pursue that that career desire for myself and then when i ended up in in college and and i found that i really loved history and i was really into the history program and 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 dissecting history and exploring it she made sure to tell me like it wouldn't make me any money
0: i didn't know any of that
1: oh yeah well that happened i had to fight to get to go to the Career Center. That's
0: wild, because it's an education program. Like, being a teacher is, like, a legit career. Like, why would she, not that, you know, art and writing, etc. Like, that's the whole point of this, is that, like, those are, like, legit careers as well. Um, But, like, being a teacher, that was a proven program that they had.
1: Yes, and at the same time, I would have had to take my core classes at the school as well, And so she didn't think that the trade-off was worth it, you know, not going to my fancy, like, you know, the the high school I ended up at was just, like, a bunch of really rich white kids um, and, like, solid teachers, but damn, was there, like, not a lot of personality in that school. Yeah, I get that. (laughs) And so, like, I also really wanted to not go there my senior year, but... Yeah, she, she didn't think because she thought that the Career Center didn't offer honors classes, that I would be not actually pushing myself. And then I was like, dude, I'm literally signed up for honors English if you just sign this fucking piece of paper. Like, what do you want from me? Oh. And then finally, she realized that she was just being a dick and she was like, fine, go do it. But I also think she maybe didn't want to give me her car because, like, I would have needed to drive to my program and then drive to my student teaching places. Yeah. So I don't, I don't think she was. But anyway, mom tried to gatekeep our educations for us and, like, tell us what we should do. Mostly because she didn't do that shit when she was our age. Yeah,
0: she did not go, like, to the typical high school. <laughs> she, what, dropped out when she was 14,
1: I believe? I know ninth grade. I don't remember the age. Okay,
0: ninth grade. I I feel like probably fourteen because that's the age she ran away. Mm. So that kind of tracks. Um. So you know, our mom not a great childhood, not a good like school experience. She dropped out of school because it was like really violent. Um. There was like a lot of drugs, a lot of violence. She probably would have been fine because she's you know like white and pretty. But
1: I actually think she really exaggerated. Like I I don't want to like you know blame the victim or anything but i think she really exaggerated that shit just i I know we're getting off topic but i'm sorry but i'll have to just say this i think she really lied to us a lot about her childhood to make us afraid of black people
0: that is super fucking valid because like on reflection when like i went apartment shopping and stuff she would tell me like oh look at the cars in the parking lot if they're beat up like you don't want to live here because like it's poor people um she didn't like, like she had a lot to say about living in Cleveland as a young person. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think you're totally right. I think she told stories that made Black people seem really scary.
1: Yeah. And like made her seem just like this perfect little white angel with this beautiful hair and this like, you know, 70s flower child look that just got accosted and attacked for being such a pretty white girl. Like, if that's your biggest problem, I'm kind of glad you got beat up for being a pretty white girl. Like, Jesus,
0: I have I hadn't even put all that together yet. Oh my god,
1: yeah, sorry. that's okay. You know, I had you know what's really cool?
0: What boundaries? Boundaries are really cool. Yeah, going back to the script. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'll keep all that in or not, but if I do, I hope everybody enjoys this episode.
1: Or you can keep it as clips for a future episode where we talk about I don't know how. Our parents shape our identities, regardless of how good people our parents are. Mm,
0: That's tasty. I like it. All right, audience, consider that a teaser for a future episode. I'd say, okay. So, boundaries are awesome, and estrangement is a boundary. So, um, but you know, we don't typically start out at estrangement. We typically start at, hey, don't talk to me like that. Hey, these topics are. No-nos for me. You know, like for me, mom talking about my body or food, that was a boundary. I didn't want to hear it. And I feel like millennials and older generations had a way different experience with the ability to set boundaries. For example, like having to hug and kiss relatives. It's very new that we're talking about consent in that way, that we don't have to force kids to do that. Mm -hmm. Some of us were not allowed to like shut or lock our bedroom doors. I have heard stories from friends that say like my parents took my doors off the hinges, like I didn't have a bedroom door. So, we're talking no privacy. Um, not permitted to challenge our parents or disagree with something or say no. Like no back talk, even if it was like a a normal I disagree because this. It was like that's back talk and it's not allowed.
1: Because the, the the parents say is, is law. Like, they weren't trying to, I, I'm not like, we can't blanket a generation because Gen X and, you know, um, what's that other one? Boomers. Oh, nice. that, they're great. LOL. Um, <laughs> they, they're they also a big, large, varied generation. So there are parents that that really did work hard. And that's why we do have some millennials that are teaching their peers, like, oh, well, my parents didn't fuck me up this way. (laughs) Like, let's talk about it. For sure. But yeah, I I wholeheartedly agree. Like, as a general generation, we were raised to be obedient and to to just be controlled, not so much be allowed to come into our own identity. We were sort of told what we were allowed to like and not allowed to like.
0: Yeah, yeah. And that's, it's wild. Like, I remember mom like grabbing trash bags and because we hadn't cleaned her room, she just started throwing our stuff into trash bags and was like, I'm just throwing this away. And that's like horrific. Like if you did that now, people would be like, Hey, so that's actually child abuse and you can't do that.
1: Yeah. And also like, she was such a, like a penny pincher. You'd, you'd think that she wouldn't want to throw away shit she bought.
0: It didn't. But, at that point but it was about control.
1: Exactly. It was about, punishing us and she was like well I'm not gonna fucking replace that shit so bye yeah
0: yeah and there's so just just a lot of fucked up stuff happening between parents and children and so then then these kids get to adulthood and they don't know how to set boundaries because we never got to practice having them you know we had to share and share meant like the bully kid was like, Hey, give me your train, you know? And he just got to take it because we're supposed to share. So, so we get to adulthood. We we don't have any sense of boundaries. Everything's just fucked. And I feel like because we didn't get to learn and experience how to set healthy boundaries and maintain them as an example, that's why we have so many, like I, I speak mostly about millennials. Cause I wrote about it in my book. Um, the gaslighting of the millennial generation, but
1: solid, plug. solid.
0: Bu- yes. Excellent. But like, I think that estrangement just happens as this like final straw moment of being like, I have tried so many times, like to get you to respect my boundaries and get you to respect me as a person and the way that I express myself. If you can't deal with it and you need to keep trying to control me, then I'm out like goodbye forever. I can't do it anymore. It just becomes exhausting.
1: That's exactly what happened with mom and me you know because up until you know the week I went up before Joe died I was up there I went up there and I was pissed obviously I was like mad at her but I figured because we had been able to talk about so many things in my past you know we talked about the fact that she wanted to kick me out of the house when I had been raped in Spain and like sent back oh trigger warning shit sorry do that on here might be
0: that's okay I'll uh I'll edit one in at the beginning.
1: Okay. And like, I came back to the States and I couldn't sleep alone. So I wanted to go to my girlfriend's house and mom wanted to kick me out over that. And, and we did end up coming to a conclusion. She apologized, like things got better. So I thought maybe just maybe one more time, the miracle would happen and I could tell her that it's really fucked up that she kept this from you and by proxy kept it from me so I wouldn't tell you that Joe was sick and dying. And so I I tried to talk to her about it and it just kind of like rolled off her back. She didn't seem to really give a fuck. And that's when it hit me that like, this woman's messed up and she's gonna take it out on us for the rest of our lives, you know, because I don't know if she sees a threat in us or if we don't follow her image of making her look like a good mom i'm not sure what it was but i it did click that week we were i I like remember it distinctly we were hugging each other we were in the kitchen and i pulled back from the hug and i was like you know joe knows that you lied to kate like joe knows that that you didn't tell them because you didn't want to and like i asked joe if kaitlyn like if he wanted Caitlin here and he said yes mom so I know you lied. And she was like, I know he told me last night. And that's like all it was. Oh my God. You know, there wasn't any apology. And then when we were in the, in the hospital with him on, on his last night, you know, I was like, Caitlin's coming to the hospital. And mom was like, okay, as long as uh, I'm just going to quote, as long as like, she doesn't get in my way. I was just like, God damn mom. Like what, what about control? Like what kind of control do you really need here? So It was the final straw, like those three days altogether. I was like, I'm fucking done. And I stayed around for like a week to help with the, to help Joe, honestly. I know he was gone, but it was to like be him for a little bit and to just sort of support mom and like get her sister up there to like take the stress off of me. And yeah, so like I stayed and I did some, some duties that I probably shouldn't have had to do, but I I did them. And then I fucked off and never talked to her again. Sorry, I'm crying. Hang on. No, <laughs> yeah, me too. I'm actually gonna go get some tissues real okay. quick. <laughs> okay. I'm back. Okay. Hi. Are
0: you doing, baby? I'm okay. I just I didn't know that you called her out on lying and that she was just like, oh, yep.
1: Yeah. That's it. Was the uh, casualness about it that really made me realize she was, yeah, just she's, out of her. Life. She's just cold. <laughs> yeah.
0: So. Hooray. I don't know how much of that I'm going to edit out, Um, but um, cool. Hey, listeners, (laughs) this is what happens when I get my sister on and we talk about trauma.
1: Shit, I'm sorry. But anyway, Anyway. for me and for you, and we are just two people, we are not the full gamut of, you know, estrangement experiences, but I think we can kind of say more often than not, it it is like a final straw, just like, okay, fuck you. I'm done. Yeah. I tried I tried really hard, but like, I can't keep taking from my personal reserves to try to make something that isn't there. Yeah,
0: that's fair. I don't think anybody wakes up one day and is like, do you know what? I think maybe I'll just never talk to my parents again.
1: Yeah, just for fun. Tips. Yeah,
0: it's, it, it comes from like a moment where, the, where you're like, I just, I can't. And something snaps and it's, it's like a rock bottom, I guess. But for me, it's just like, like hitting a wall. And it's like, I have, I'm done beating my face against this fucking brick wall of trying to like, have my, this person who's supposed to love me unconditionally, like connect with me as who I am as a person, you know, like I'm, I'm a whole fucking person. And I don't think, first of all, I don't think mom even knows my name. Since I changed it to Fisher, I don't think Mom knows my name. Um, neither of my parents knows where I live. Dad probably only knows I have a book because he was stalking my Facebook page. You know, like there, there's so much stuff that has been happening in my life. Like I'm a published author. I have this podcast. I'm helping people. I bought a house, and I can't call my parents and celebrate that with them. And estrangement, while being an excellent boundary in in our case you know, not everybody has to choose it, and it's fine. But for us, it was really important in getting back to, I think, the people we were meant to be, Mm -hmm. because we didn't have to, like, pretend, we didn't have to wonder if mom was going to approve, you know?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, if you're estranged due to trauma inflicted on you by your parents, you know, it's, After that estrangement and after, you know, that first year when, like, you finally are like, oh, okay, they're not going to come knocking down my door and, like, follow me or, like, you know, try to send me a Venmo request for a dollar just so they could send me a message or something, you know, like, you then have to realize that you have to find your inner child and and do some parenting.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: That's really hard. It's, like, really fucked up that not only do I have to just be a functional adult, like, I have to go back and, like, fix shit that they did.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I had uh, a very healing moment after Zoe died. Zoe is my cat for listeners who are not aware that Zoe is my cat. Um, And she passed in January and I was just like laying in bed, totally losing my shit. Um, I couldn't sleep because I was just absolutely grief stricken. And I had a childhood memory float up where my cat shadow died um, when I was like six and Jess, like you probably don't even remember this because you would have been like two or three.
1: He had leukemia, he didn't he? He did. He
0: had leukemia. He
1: had, so he hang your bed. I remember that. Yeah. So
0: we had to put him down. And and I was laying in bed crying at night. And mom flies into my room, like busts open the door, pissed that I am just making noise. And she told me if I don't knock it off, she's not going to take me to be in my school play the next day. Jesus. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And, you know, I was never really able to grieve a pet until Zoe, and I was 32. You know, I had this lifetime of not being able to grieve pets because, like, I mean, you know what happened with Bailey. Mom came down to Texas and was like, hey, your dog got hit by a car, and then immediately told us that she and dad were getting divorced.
1: Holy shit. Yeah, like
0: this (laughs) – I don't like this woman.
1: <laughs> I do not remember that. But at the same time, I was either dissociating or something, but I really don't remember large swaths of my childhood. Me too.
0: Me too. And they probably start chronologically at the same time, but cover different ages.
1: Yeah. Which is helpful. So then we can talk. Yeah, and we can sure. We
0: can layer this shit together. It's great. So <laughs> speaking of like inner child stuff, You are a member of Passion Pacers. Mm -hmm. And because you've been busy in grad school and stuff, you probably haven't had a chance to like dig into the framework workbooks and stuff that I have. There's like a little curriculum I've got in there in the membership portal. But there's this part of the framework that's just about intuition. Mm -hmm. And the, the intuition part, a lot of my exercises there ask people to like reflect on their childhood. Because in my opinion, that's like the last time. 30 years ago. That's the last time I had like pure insight into my passion, my creativity, and my interests before like the world started informing
1: it. Right. Like you wanted to be a farmer.
0: I did want to be a farmer. And now in our new house, I'm going to have a beautiful garden.
1: Exactly. I was going to say in your little millennial commune, you are going to be you know, making food for each other and that's that's really wonderful. Yeah.
0: So it's you know, I I love that idea of looking back on interests and then also, you know, sometimes if if your parents were not great about those interests and passions, you lose them over time. And estrangement as a boundary can be a way to reconnect with those old hobbies. So I remember once I was singing and just like in the kitchen, just singing and First off, mom's boyfriend at the time said, what happened to the money? And I said, what money? And he said, the money for singing lessons. And I'm like, yeah. bro, I'm like 11 and that's mean. And then mom said, sure, like you're, you're good, but you're not good like Britney Spears. Basically saying that like I did not have the innate talent of Britney Spears and therefore shouldn't bother singing because I couldn't be a pop star.
1: Exactly. Mom was all about could what we liked make us money i think she's like the original you know introduction of like the hustle life you know for us
0: i don't like that
1: (laughs) i'm so sorry that we're making all these discoveries on air right now (laughs) (laughs) it's fine it's fine if she saw no profitability she wouldn't entertain it for very long or, or at least she would give it like a one go. And if, if it like fizzled out, she wouldn't encourage us to do better or help us find a way to do it a different way, you know? Yeah.
0: And then like my, Oh, go ahead. Probably my like most traumatic musical experience was when I had a guitar, a friend's mother gave me an acoustic guitar. I named the guitar Lorelei. I decorated the guitar's case I didn't know how the fuck to play guitar because like, I, you know, I didn't have guitar lessons. I didn't have like a book. I didn't have anything. So I just was like, I don't know. I printed off like chords from the internet and like tried to learn guitar, but I didn't know what I was doing. And so mom, because I wasn't practicing my guitar or learning how to do anything with it, sold it at a yard sale.
1: She sure as fuck did. She was excited as hell to get like 10 bucks for it too.
0: And I was, I was like, you can't sell that. It's my guitar. And she said, well, you're not doing anything with it. And it was like this, this like punishment of not getting immediately good at a craft. And she decided that I wasn't trying hard enough. So she made 10 bucks on it. She told me if, if I didn't want her to sell it, she was going to nail it to the wall as a decoration. Jesus. Yeah. So, you know, creativity, a little bit squashed. I still believe that I can't learn guitar or that I'm not coordinated enough to play an instrument.
1: She was shitty about music because I, I didn't even think about the cello thing until I saw it here on your outline. So when I was in fifth grade, I was tall and large and therefore like my hands were big enough to use a full size cello, but that was taller than me. So my my mom helped me carry it around because I wasn't that strong, but I needed it. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to play the notes right. So one day it was raining. Mom had, you know, she was carrying my umbrella or my umbrella. Who am I? My cello for me. We walk into my school and we're going down just like these four stairs to get to the music room. And she slips and she falls. And the, the cello fell to the ground and it broke like it broke. It busted pretty, pretty intensely the body of it and we were renting the cello and so mom like got so mad she like yep, like why weren't you carrying it i'm not going to be able to fix this or replace this we have to give it back like just immediately like no more chances something broke we can't nothing will be changed like you can't do this anymore and so that's the story of how i stopped playing cello (sighs) boo and then i got into clarinetting I think, after that, because that was still a way to be in the orchestra, right? I could just play the clarinet. It was a lot cheaper to rent that as well. But she, and in order to gain some of her favor, you, like, really made fun of my clarinet playing. Like, if it squeaked, it would be like, why do you even play this? You don't even know how to make it not squeak. And I'm like, I'm 10. (laughs) You know, what do you want from me? I'm so sorry we bullied each other a lot to get favor from our parents and, and I don't blame you for most of it.
0: I'm sorry about Alfred.
1: That's, I mean, that's what I was thinking, but you didn't need to bring it up. <laughs>
0: okay. <laughs> Great. Um. Okay. So that was some fun reflection about mom. And, you know, we talked a little bit about dad like before we recorded this and I think you were, you totally nailed it. Like anything that we did, he thought, was fucking written in the stars like just because his kids did it and he was he loved anything that we touched you know and it just sucks because like the ways he was a bad parent to us it wasn't this you know he would have encouraged anything I think if I said dad I want singing lessons he would have found a way to do it um you know but then he would have like accidentally spent the money at the bar you know like he
1: or he would have gotten your singing lessons and like forgotten to come to your concert.
0: Yeah, yeah. I remember in like elementary school, the local paper would like run children's drawings of the weather. And I had put in like this picture of like little snowflakes I drew and he had it cut out of the paper and laminated and he kept it like forever. He probably still has it. I'm sure he does. And you know, it says like, you know, Caitlin age- six or whatever from Seville Elementary School. And he thought the sun shone out of our ass.
1: And he also gave us that phrase. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He he was really encouraging. I, and mom sometimes was, but it was only when we were recognized for our talents in it. Right. Like when you would come home with an arm full of awards after, you know, middle school award show, mom would praise your writing and your thoughts and your your academics and and when i would get the friendship award etc for my personality (laughs) she would be like oh yeah you're cool of course everyone loves you and then like one time i got a poem like quote-unquote published like I guess it was published but it was just in like our local student publication of arts yeah I mean I still have that book because mom made sure to get one and keep it because she she was really excited that you know my poem was in a book somewhere but I, I she wouldn't have she doesn't encourage anything that doesn't get you an accolade whereas dad encourages you sans accolades but won't be present with you in that moment at all Yeah. And honestly, I would have preferred if they were both the same way, one way or the other. But like getting kind of fucked up in two different ways is really annoying.
0: (laughs) Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. I would say we both got pretty good encouragement from teachers, though. And that helped a lot, I think.
1: Yeah. I mean, we, we didn't get nurtured at home. We got punished. So at school... We were big kiss asses, and we we made we made friends with our teachers. I think, yeah, as much as possible. Also, because we didn't really know how to talk to kids. Because I don't think mom and dad did a lot to like help our socializing as young kids. You know, we got to know the family friends and and their kids, but we didn't have play dates. You know, we didn't. Yeah, I don't. I don't feel like play dates were like a thing back then. Oh, fair. I mean, I feel like. The concept of, hey, you have a kid, I have a kid, let's put our kids together. That's fair. Is probably... I mean, we, know, had, we had we had
0: Jenny and Alex.
1: The people that live next to us on the streets. Yes. So our convenient neighbors that did become wonderful friends, yes. But who made those friends? We did. We did. Point taken, point taken. Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay, so let's fast forward to our, our 20s and 30s when we are adults after having... Uh, fucked up boundaries and our passions shit on uh, as kids. And, you know, bef- before we started this sort of healing process where we're both, we've both been in therapy, both read a ton of books, like we've both just done a lot of work on healing from these childhood wounds. But for a long time, I would like ask six other people, like before I sent an email, I'm like, does this look good? Am I doing okay?
1: Yeah, I still do that to you sometimes. Shit.
0: <laughs> You've gotten like way, way less though.
1: I know. I usually only do it if it's to like an authority figure now. I just want to make sure I'm not like, you're going to cause any waves. Yeah. But I, you're right. I, and I actually pat myself on the back when I send correspondence and don't need anybody else's approval on it. I, it,
0: Me too. For a while I was like, Oh, I'm making a new logo. Let me just put three logos on, on Facebook and get people's opinions. And now I'm like, Hey, I changed my podcast cover art and I'll be okay. I did do like three different like blurbs on it and had people vote on their favorite blurb, (laughs) but I made all the style choices by myself.
1: (laughs) Right. And I think that's, that's a big move, right? Because that goes back to what you said about intuition, right? It's finding your intuition and not requiring input to make a choice and, And that's fucking hard. Like that is, it's such a big thing to have your own sense of yourself. What's right. What's wrong. What, what should happen. Nuance. Like your own identity and morality within all of this, right? You should be able to just say, oh, this is right. This like, I know how I'm going to respond to things. That's fucking hard. I still want to get people's input on so many choices and so many thoughts. And, and I think that part, that intuition part is part of the reason that, that I am not so creative anymore that I like, I don't write my blog anymore. It's because it's like, well, I don't know if this is what people want to hear versus saying, I know this is what I want to say. Yeah. And that's so
0: important. And I've, I've done the same thing. Like I haven't blogged in a long time and then when I do sit down to blog, I, I know I love it because I get very autistic flappy hands. <laughs> um, and I'll start like tapping on the table and I just do like my little happy stims when I'm writing and I haven't done it in months and I really want to get back to it, but I've been, I don't know, spending all my time being like, Oh, this will help me get more social media followers. I got to knock it off. I'm posting a bunch of shit on Instagram. Cause like who cares we all die you know like I need to do the things that I like to do exactly love that <laughs> I want to talk about how you moved to DC because that was like a huge intuitive move that you made and you didn't have a sure thing so this to me was like terrifying like I, I could never do this but you inspired me a lot when you did it so please tell us how you moved to DC
1: Man, it's so anticlimactic after that beautiful and wonderful introduction. Um, So I wanted to be a teacher and did not have a degree in education. So I looked around the country for programs that that helped with that. And the two that were closest that I that I well, actually, so in the program that I applied to, you could not tell them what city you preferred to go to. So I was hoping for Chicago or D.C. because all the other ones were very far away. I applied to this, you know, teacher preparatory kind of program thing. They were like, hey, bitch, you got in D.C. And I was like, sweet. And then I just kind of went from there. I applied to the program. I got in. I had to tell them if I was a yes or no within like a day. And so I just said, "Uh, yes, (laughs) sure, I'll figure it out. And then I guess I figured it out. I was working in a school and my supervisor had a daughter who lived in DC that she was conveniently about to go drive to for like a four day weekend. And I was having trouble finding jobs and housing in DC because everybody wanted you to be there for an in-person interview. We didn't have COVID yet. People didn't realize you could do all this shit online. Right. So I, I, went down to DC with her and I did like couch surfing and I stayed with these Turkish guys in Alexandria and I slept on their floor (laughs) for free. Um, And I was perfectly safe. They were wonderful men. And like, they told me where to go in DC that might have like restaurants I could apply to because I was already like a waitress in D or in Cleveland. So I applied, I think I don't know, 20, 25 different restaurants. And I did probably 10, 15 interviews over the course of those three days. I had, I had hand-drawn maps because they didn't have great GPS at the time to tell you where stuff was. So I figured out, you know, where I might live. I I grabbed a job. Well, I didn't grab a job yet. Actually, nobody, everybody was like, Oh, sure. We'll call you. Um, But then I, I went back to Ohio because it was only like a four day weekend and I kind of didn't really think about it because then I had the whole month and a half before I was moving down to DC. Then I find a house on Craigslist and the the landlord seems willing to let me move in, even though I don't have a credit, a great credit score. But through white privilege and a bunch of cash, I was able to be like, here's the first month and my down payment in cash. And because mom taught me that. And he was like, fine. <laughs> So I had a house, but I didn't have a job yet. Got a call from a restaurant and they were like, hey, we haven't forgotten you and there's a place for you here if you, if you want to be here. So with my very small amount of money that I had saved up and then you and mom driving down to D.C. with the small amount of shit that I had, we moved and I lived in a group house with six other people and I worked that waitressing job while also teaching while also going to classes and then I added another waitressing job and I mean that whole first year I only made like $26,000 two-thirds of that was my rent and food and like everything else it was a lot I also got like my laptop stolen when I got there so I had to (laughs) go buy a new laptop with like my second day there a lot of shit went down but here I am I've I've made significant strides I have found a a school I've returned to several years in a row and like they want me to keep coming back I've been seeing my students like grow up at the school which is the first time I've ever seen that and it's wonderful and I finally don't have to work more than one job just to be able to live it's it's fucking great met my fiance we moved in together we got kitty cat babies it's it's a whole thing and you're right I guess I did do it without knowing anybody.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You were just like, you wanted to jump your, your whole everything said, that's the thing I'm going to do. And you just fucking made it work. And I love it. It's, I know you think it's just like this weird rambly story, but it is so inspirational to me that you just jumped. And maybe, maybe having seen you do that is what helped me just jump when I left my job last year. Cause we have now hit, the one year mark from when I gave my notice at my company, and I've been just self-employed since last really? what August. And like, holy shit, I'm doing it! And you know, if I had asked mom, mom, what do you think about me quitting my job with with no plan? Um, you know, I've saved up some money, but I just can't keep working here. She would have told me. I was yeah she would have
1: been like she yes she would have dissected the fuck (laughs) out of that and been like this is wrong for these 20 reasons and so is this
0: yeah and she would have said don't come to me for help
1: don't come crying to me when you're out of money and and out of a job because you didn't think this through yeah
0: so I'm very grateful that her voice has been so far removed from my head that I was able to do what I needed and wanted and deeply desired to do, you know, I was able to run like hell toward my happy. Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. I love it. I just want to talk a bit about people choosing estrangement because I don't want to imply that I think estrangement is like the best thing ever. I don't think it's right for everybody. Mm -hmm. Also, some people who want to choose estrangement can't because um, they depend on their parents financially or for like healthcare or for shelter, like- You can't always get out of an abusive situation like that. And I want to be clear that like, there's no morality in choosing estrangement. It can be right for you or not. And whether or not you're able to do it doesn't mean that you're a better person or not. Like it is a choice. Mm -hmm. It's a valid choice. So I just want to be super clear on that. And I do think that it can, it can help you get back to like your intuitive True self, in in the ways that Jess and I were able to like. I know that you weren't estranged when you went to D.C., but I don't know. I guess you were young enough
1: that mom was just like, eh, eh, "I'll figure it out." I mean, you know, mom was jazzed that I was making a move toward having a quote unquote career kind of thing. Like she wanted us to have jobs that you could you know find in a dictionary or you know like yeah those sort of. Guaranteed career, quote unquote, like, you know, career style goals. So, like, I think she was really excited for me to become a teacher. And even that first year, we're like, I really hated everything. Um, That was, it was a really low year for me that first year. Like, she was relatively encouraging, but it wasn't to help me feel better. It was to remind me that, like, something good would come out of all of my deep, awful pain. Like, you're there, sure, it's, it's hard, but here, I'll give you a $500 loan that you can pay back in a year with interest, and and maybe that'll help you, you know? Like, let me just add more stress to your shit.
0: Did you ever pay that back?
1: No, I never. Oh, I paid it back, like, a third of it, and then Joe died. Okay, and good. And so, fuck you, Mom, I got, I got $200 from you, ha, 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 I'm a thief. Whatever. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. But yeah, I mean, I, I agree. Like it was really healing at the end to just put up that boundary and just be like, look, no, like you, you have not encouraged me for the right reasons in my whole life. Like we're just, we're just done so. And at mm-hmm. my teaching career has flourished since my parents have been out of my life. And I'm not going to say it's, it's a direct causation, or, or, or even, I don't even know if there's any correlation, but I'm, I'm very, very aware that I have made choices that mom probably would have said were wrong choices, but I am in the ultimate right place that I should be right now as a teacher.
0: Good. I love that for you. And I love that you're going back to grad school. I love that you're doing research on something that's going to help you help more
1: kids Shit. Yeah. I'm, I'm doing so many things now that I don't have her telling me how to do the things.
0: You are. Huh. See, we're both having a little epiphanies today. Yeah. Okay. So I love this. I think we'll wrap this up for now. I just want to let, um, a couple more things off my, off my, my outline here. yeah. Um, and that's that like estrangement doesn't have to be final. And that you you haven't failed at boundaries if you find yourself in touch with your parents again. Jess, do you want to talk a little bit about like low contact versus no contact? Because I know you did like a low contact thing with mom for a while.
1: Um. Yeah, after you uh, did your like no contact with mom, I just tried to go low contact, which just meant that I did the whole like gray rock thing, um, which listeners like, you can Google it, but essentially it's like being kind of boring towards someone who's either toxic or abusive toward you. So that way you don't give them any personal information or any, anything to kind of go off of. So I just kind of stopped giving mom intricate details to my life. I would answer her questions with like as little possible information um, and I wouldn't seek out talking to her. You know, sometimes if she came across my mind like I'd give her a call or I'd shoot her a text, but but I I I definitely was like weaning myself off a little bit. I was I knew I think I wanted to go no contact. Well, actually no. You're right. I wanted to stay low contact until the Joe thing happened because I thought she could do better. Yeah. And it wasn't until that epiphany that I realized like she probably even if she could do better, I don't think she wanted to. Yeah.
0: And that's, I mean, that's sad for her, right? Like it's sad for both of them. It's sad for mom and dad that like, they don't have any desire to apologize or reconnect with us or like repair the relationship because it would mean admitting that they did harm. And I think that's too great a burden for them. I think they can't admit that they did harm. And so we're we're painful to them as much as they're painful to us, really, because if we were in touch with them, they would be faced with the fact that our boundaries now say like, you, you got to make amends. Yeah. That's rough. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Awesome. So just general tips, see a therapist I really recommend books on estrangement, toxic parents, codependency. I will link a bunch of them in the show notes. I actually think maybe that's a great blog idea for me is I'll write up a list of of book recommendations for people dealing with trauma, considering estrangement, things like that. And I also just want everybody to know that there's, it's a whole journey. It's a healing process and it is not linear. You don't decide to cut off your parents and then you get a little bit better every day. Um, You know, I've been cut off from my mom since January 2017, minus that little blip in 2018 where um, our stepdad died. And I've been cut off from my dad since, I want to say like January 2019. I'm now just now two to three years like after the fact dealing with a lot of my grief around not having my dad in my life anymore like i'm finally starting to process that. So it's it's not linear. It really has ups and downs and you can be happy that you're reconnecting with passions and with your intuitive, you know, inner child self that that knew who you were and still grieve a lot and be angry and be sad and it's it's complex and it sucks, but it's also really nice, especially as like you find people in your life who, who love you for who you are and can help you build that sort of sense of family back.
1: Yeah. I think it's really important to find, find your family and to choose your family. And so like that just circles back finally, you know, estrangement is a choice, not speaking to parts, you know, people in your family is a choice. Um, but you also choose the family members that you want to keep, like I choose Caitlin, um, yeah. just like I choose my my good friends, and just like I I choose my fiance. Those are my found family, and they're really important. It's important to to say yes, you know, to run like hell toward that happy. To really, r- really choose what's best for you.
0: I love that. Thank you so much. And I'm. So happy that you choose me and I'm so happy that I choose you and you're so fucking important to me. You are my best friend and I love you so much.
1: I love you so much. Aww. Okay.
0: All right. So I'm going to wrap it up there. Um, you can find me on social medias and whatnot. Um, Jess, do you want to share any, any social medias if people want to follow you? Do you want to give them your blog, even though you haven't written there in a while, anything you want to share?
1: All my social media is private I don't really care about my followers, but y'all are great, and I appreciate you for listening and if I ever open that up i'll I'll put my 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 info here
0: okay, awesome thank you so much for joining me this morning and um I'll probably text you in like five minutes
1: to see how you're doing so <laughs> thank you for of me. course I love you I love thank you. you so much this was nice i I didn't know what to expect um and I am I'm glad we had this. I think this was helpful in many ways. And thanks listeners for coming along on our journey of figuring out a lot of shit about our childhood.
0: I know, right? This is gonna be a long one. Sorry! It's, I think No, it's good. It's good. I think the interviews will probably come in around an hour.
1: All right. Gorgeous. I love you so much and thank you. And run along to your next meeting, my friend. Okay. Thank you so much. Marcus Kiss. Marcus kiss. Kiss, kiss. Bye.
0: Bye. Thanks for joining me today. If you loved this episode, please head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Then join us in the Run Like Hell Toward Happy community on Facebook, where you can enter to win prizes like free books, coaching sessions, and more. Huge thanks to Leave Nelson B for our musical interludes, and to Jennifer Hearn Photography for the photo used in my cover art. Check the show notes for links and resources mentioned in today's episode. And I'm not even going to bother telling you my social media handles because all I want you to do is join the Run Like Hell to Happy community on Facebook and enter that awesome giveaway. Boom. You can find me there. That's all for now. I'll see you next time.